welcome to Seafood Matters Podcast, the voice of the UK seafood industry. I'm your host, Jim Cowie. In this episode, I will be talking with Jacqueline O'Donnell. Jacqueline is a well-known personality on both television and radio, ex-restaurant owner and a real dear friend of mine. We will be chatting about how we can get more chefs and housewives using more of the lesser-known fish species. Thanks very much for having me on, Jim. It's lovely to speak to you as ever. I am Jack O'Donnell. I have been oh, in this industry for, I don't know, 30, 35 years or something like that now. I had a restaurant, two restaurants in Glasgow for 25 of those years and I've recently stepped back from the restaurant world just to focus a wee bit more on having a wee bit more time to myself, but still still cooking because that's my passion and encouraging the next generation of chefs as and where I can and promoting great Scottish food. Always, that just comes naturally, I guess. But I think that's about all I need to say. That's not even going through half of it. <laughs> You've been so successful in television appearances and competitions. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think you've got a you've had a wonderful career. Mm-hmm. I've been very very fortunate, Jim. That um, I guess sometimes you say you've got a good face for radio, but it turns out I was quite good on TV as well. I still work with BBC Radio Scotland, and had a few programs with. Scottish television and then Great British Menu a couple of, of years so I, I tend to skip past all of those bits because I always feel as though I'm bragging but like you see it's all part of me. It's something you should be bragging about. What Tell us about the Great British Menu that must have been really exciting or nervous oh, you know? or, or, or tell me. Oh, it it was so good. You know, Great British Menu, you you don't apply, you're asked to be on. So I was um, the first female ever to represent Scotland on Great British Menu and BBC Two. And naively, I went down thinking it was all about, it was for D-Day celebrations for the, the 70th centenary. So I thought it was all about the veterans, but actually it's a competition in the bottom line. And when I used to compete when I was younger, I I came away from it all thinking it's not always about food. Um, And, you know, it wasn't any better in my my early 40s that when you go down to Great British Menu, it is ultimately a competition. But I managed to get through despite, you know, various hurdles along the way and get through to the final. And it was was quite a, a close finish. Um, but such a great experience and good for the industry and uh, and good for chefs to see and aspire to go to these levels of, of competing as opposed to just the their sort of nationwide um, Scott Hot or something. And then I was asked back again and it was for the centenary of the, the WI and that was that was great fun. I actually thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that one, and hearing all about sort of every every corner of of Scotland, and 
what the WI did for the community or SWRI as far as we were concerned. Not that I was allowed to see SWRI because they dropped the Scottish bit for the time I was uh, filming for that one. So it was only known as the Women's Institute. But nonetheless, it was a great institute and um, where a lot of people uh, learned something and passed something on. So it was good to be able to give something back to them and lots of stories in between time. So that was a good one. And again, up to the final. Uh, and pipped at the post and the fish course both times. So ah, makes good TV, Jim. That's what it is. I thought it was a great idea with a great British menu when you actually took them, took the dishes and put them on your restaurant menu. Was that, that must have been popular. It was, you know, I had no idea... Obviously, it was it's quite a chefy program, the the Great British Menu. But actually, so much more of the public watched it, maybe to get a real idea of what chefs were like. And we then ran the Great British Menu menu on, and the people that would travel up and down the country, excuse me, just to taste what they had watched on TV, was actually great for business. So it was it was very nice for them to to get a taste of something that had been in a competition and quite a high profile program. Um, and for me to put it out in the restaurant and it's not just all uh, work for a, it's a TV production type. You, you were having to do it in real time uh, to get it out to the customers. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You brought back long distant memories there in your, when you're talking about uh, SWRI <laughs> because I remember as a as a kid now I'm in my 70s so it's a long time ago, 60 odd years ago but my mother was in the SWRI and as a kid I remember one night in the house saying mom what does this WRI mean and my father came up with <laughs> With the answer, silly woman running idle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they dropped the S and the R. Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm sure he did get battered by a rolling pin. Um, had your mum heard uh, your father saying that? Oh, she, oh, she had heard loud and clear. <laughs> oh, did she? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my father was never. My father was never one for whispering or talking behind. He had no filters, just uh-huh, you got right. it straight. I just straight in there. <laughs> Very funny. That that part of it was really nice, actually getting uh, the village where I'm from in Glasgow had, had quite a big sort of rural support. So for me to meet up with all of those ladies and surrounding villages um, to talk about their sort of women's institute meets and where where they used to meet and how important it was to them and it it actually seems it's fizzling out and I don't know if if we will recreate this as the next generation but that's where they did go to learn um and to, to pass something on but it was it was very good to be a part of. I thoroughly enjoyed the ladies even although they didn't approve of the way I made my clouty dumpling but hey ho <laughs> I had to produce it in 40 minutes. They had four hours. <laughs> okay. Now, coming on to fish, 
uh, I I I class you as uh, somebody quite y- unique. Now this is my perception, and uh, because one of the things I see in you, which I give you a lot of credit for, I always feel that fondness is. And you just mentioned it there. You're you were you were a, you're a restaurateur. You had two restaurants for twenty five years in Central Glasgow. That is an achievement in itself to survive twenty five years in a comp- competition that was so would have been so rife in the centre of Glasgow. Oh, absolutely it was. And I don't think I, I often I always do myself an injustice, um, as my husband says so as well. Be kinder to yourself. You know, you've been you've been pretty out there for the past thirty years. And it is no mean feat to be up against the biggest competition of your life is running your business, regardless of whatever T V programme or, or, or chef's competition you've been in. It was a, a, a very tough place to be but so so enjoyable and I did love it and equally so as a female as well Jim you know it's it's not an easy it's not an easy place for a a female to be so the fact that I did happen to survive and thrive and 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 thoroughly enjoy and I seem to have left my my mark I was at um, a show last week and the eat and drink festival it was lovely to be out and about again and it was so nice when people came up to saying I really miss your restaurant we had so many lovely times there um and it was very nice for me to hear that obviously we we had sold up just before covid so it's as if the world's been shut for a couple of years and you've not seen anybody since then so I've not not got in touch with any old regulars so they they were all there at the weekend to come and visit various chefs doing their demonstrations so it was nice to get told that I'm missed in town so that that was quite nice I'm quite sure they meant it <laughs> I miss I miss I miss you <laughs> when you've got a trip Glasgow. to Glasgow not, that, not obviously recently due to Covid and things like that but it was sort certainly one of the things on my calendar if I was if I was going to be in Glasgow. But I mean, and you mentioned it there in your your husband because I know he played a integral part with you because uh, I'm sure you would agree that running a restaurant it on the surface it looks great. Oh, you cook this and you cook that. I would say it's more about, there's more, um, to me anyway, you might correct me, I would say it's maybe the cooking is probably the easiest part. Oh, without a doubt, Jim. Running a business. Running (laughs) a business. And all the politics that go along with it and and paperwork and staff and and tax and A&I, all of these things. And now when I get, when people now still ask me to cook for them, it takes all of that away and just brings back the joy of just cooking, which is what I started out doing, you know, only cooking, me in the kitchen, that's all there was. And now that these sort of private dinner parties, if I get asked to do them between six or eight people, it's just heaven, 
Jim, you know, you'll know yourself when the when you don't get to run the whole kitchen. You lose that wee part of of knowing exactly what's going on in every single section, whereas it's just you in the kitchen doing a table for six or eight. It's lovely. Uh, so I, th- these are the nice bits that have uh, come out of it, been back to just cooking but small also, amounts. But also there's a there's a balance, absolutely, but also there's a balance sheet and a profit and loss account that an accountant wants to see oh, yeah. that you have to satisfy him. And you have a front of house situation where you've got some I've seen it I've seen it in the captain's galley where Mary would you know, somebody would come in and they were so prickly and and awkward to deal with. And by the time they were going out the door they were bye, thank you very yeah, much. Mary. Friends for life. <laughs> and I, and I, I just couldn't I couldn't do that. No, no, I think it takes a special person to be out the front as well. And Absolutely. your Mary seems totally. to do it. So, mm. well, she's, well, she, you know, it's funny, she was a nurse. She was a qualified nurse and uh, that was her part, that was her love, you know, just to be a nurse, the caring profession, as they call it. And mm-hmm. I, I quite often used to say to people, well, well, hopefully coming to the captain's galley, hopefully you'll have a really nice experience and you'll have a lovely meal. But, hope, if the meal is if the meal isn't just a hundred, you are guaranteed to be nursed and mothered. Ah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But take, going on to fish, get, we're on a slant a tangent here. Uh, Jacqueline, I here's a situ, uh, situation. I've been. I'll try so hard to think, you know, how can we get the public and chefs eating more, eating different species, the more lesser known species? I think it is so important, important to even to the point of stock, fish stock conservation, because if the fishermen were meeting their expenses, and getting their crews getting a, a a good income, a decent income, from and getting more out of the other lesser known species on the market, getting a bigger price for them. It means that they don't have to hit cod and haddock in the main species quite as hard. Quite as hard. So it mm-hmm. it's it's got a it's got a win win. Apart from the fact that it's got a wonderful eating experience and uh, you know I was a, I was in a situation this week where I just thought it absolutely just tell speaks everything I'm saying and thinking about that's it in a nutshell I'll tell you a really good friend of mine uh, Peter Lovey he's got one of the newest boats in the Scottish fleet, one of the biggest as well. He showed me round the boat, an amazing, absolutely state-of-the-art, amazing uh, uh, fishing boat. Now, he was in landing in Scrabster, and uh, he had 
so much a percentage of his catch going on the local market. Now, it was less, it was about a quarter, probably just near enough, a quarter of his fish was going in the local market. Mm-hmm. And everything else was getting trucked, sold private, trucked abroad. Mm. Now, need I say, what was going on the local market was cod, haddock, whiting, every, every, every fish you know and people know, cod, haddock, whiting, place, lemon sole, monk, all that sort of thing. Ah, all the usuals. And, and yet there was amazing quality. You know, he had been in the what we call the shallow water and the deep water edge on the Atlantic. You know, as you go into the deeper waters of the Atlantic and some of the deep water species. And they were all getting trucked to France. And I thought, that just typifies what's going on in the country. And we need but then, to, un- we unless need to we have, that. Unless we have um, chefs on TV or, or radio or, you know, the, the prominent people that... Joe Public watch or fishmongers pushing, you know what what the the these lesser known species are. Then they're not they're not going to take it. You know, there's many a program been on. Um, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall did it. I'm sure Jamie did it as well with a couple of different lesser known species, but trying to get Joe Public to try it, and I think. Almost it has to be that we have to, as the the chefs, use these species, get them in a great dish and get people talking about it. You know, there can be such a revolution from one or two people that are crusading for, it's it's got to be for the fishermen, for the fish stocks, you know, everything positively to slant towards using other fish. So why is that still, why is that hamster wheel not moving yet? It's not reaching the the big cities, but it's reaching all of Europe. It's reaching anywhere in France where they're more than happy to take the the Megram soles or um, what was the one that you'd caught the other week that you did a, a post on? It wasn't catfish. There was a, there was Grenadier. a name. Grenadier. I was going to say Grenadier, Grenadier, but that's the name of a new car coming out of France. And I thought, I've got that mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> no. And it's, it, it, the fillet is just outstanding. No, the point I made in the post is you can't judge a book by looking at the cover. Mm-hmm. But, but the, that message isn't coming across. Obviously, I look at everything that you say. And even when I speak to my fishmonger, who I'm just back from two minutes ago, um, to say, can you get me this? And I would need to be buying a sort of a 20 kilo mixed box of mixed fish to be able to try different fishes without knowing what they were. So I don't know, is it something that we could focus on one type like this grenadier or was was it tusk? Was that not another one that you had had a, a, a month ago we were talking about? But we need to focus on maybe a name of 
one type of fish that we can get so that that the Joe public will buy it. It's got to be in the supermarkets. They've got to be able to find it. Maybe not supermarkets, but fishmongers or being able to buy it online. What do you think? I I was greatly uh, taken with your comment there. I think that is a fantastic idea to get to maybe just to get it in people's sitting rooms by the television and maybe get some some of the cooking programs uh, on television using it to let people know about it. I think that's a fantastic idea because sometimes when I'm cooking it at, in the restaurant and I go round the tables and they say, oh, that was lovely. I've never heard of that before. I've never heard. And I just wonder to myself, you know, the different agencies, there's uh, Seafood Scotland, Seafish. Yeah different people who are, I mean, I just wonder, where are they? What are they doing? Because I'm quite sure they're working hard and doing a great job, but where are they doing it? If it's exporting fish, well, I think, I mean, I was doing an interview last yesterday with Jimmy Buchan, and as he, as he rightly says, there's a colossal market, domestic market in the UK that we need mm-hmm. to... Tap into. We were um the, the show that I was at just at the weekend there, so for four days, and it's the first time I've obviously had chefs from the industry out in the past couple of years. And one out of maybe about twenty-five chefs that I had on stage did a meat course, everybody else did fish. And obviously it was the mainstays, and most of them were um islanders and what have you. Um, coming down with their scallops but everything was seafood so when you have that kind of audience the old staples that they're obviously always going to and then the, the dived scallops are phenomenal but when you have an audience like that why are we not using then to say you should try this fish but I definitely think this issue lies with whether it's Ready Steady Cook, whether it's James Martin Saturday Morning, whether it's the BBC Saturday Live, I think there needs to be, um, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, Jim, that who do we speak to to get onto these programmes to talk about this fish and to do a dish with this fish that then the public can say, well, where can I get that? Because that's how you start a revolution of change by getting people to ask questions. I couldn't agree with you more. I like the name as I like the sound of it as well. A revolution. <laughs> I'll get on my I'll get on the phone to James Martin, see if he'll <laughs> see if he'll take us on. If if, if you've got the contacts, <laughs> my goodness, I've got I can supply the fish. You know, it's there, and there's an example. Uh, what I say about uh, something, you know, making a, a income, a more real viable income, because monkfish and cod are the two of the main species, but the quotas have been cut this year. There's no mm-hmm. scientific evidence to justify it, but they've cut it, and that has really hit. And on top of that, with the situation with 
Russia and Ukraine, the way it's affected energy prices, it's really hit fishermen really hard. And if I was to give you an example, when I say main species, monkfish. Now, monkfish would make upwards of £200 a box on the market. Mm-hmm. On, this is on the fish market as a, in its whole, whole, whole state. It would make anything between two and £300, depending on size on the fish market. Tusk, which is very similar. In fact, our good friend Alan Addison on the Venture Three Double Deckers. <laughs> the big boat. <laughs> <laughs> he classes tusk as monkfish without the chew. Oh, really? It is so similar. The flesh is so similar to a monkfish. And if the absolute maximum they would ever get for a box of tusk is 50 pounds more often 25. Seriously? Is that the difference? Now, when we've got, you know, the the, the big fishermen like Jimmy Buchan and Alan Addison saying that these fish are there, there's a massive domestic market, there's, there's definitely a missing link into, and actually I would have said this generation of uh, younger kids are more and more into seafood and healthier eating than we've been in a long time. We're all obviously old school fish eaters, but these kids are having sushi constantly. They're having um, what the all the boys that were on at the weekend. Um, it was all seafood, all seaweed seasoning, all very natural things, and the, the audience were lapping it up. Even I was doing there's a Hawaiian dish just now, and actually I might pick your brains on that one, Jim, because. The sashimi that goes in this sort of salad summary box, it's a Hawaiian dish that means, it's called a poke bowl, right? And it means sliced fish and vegetables. And they're all the rage and everybody's ordering them. And I ended up learning how to do it all because I was fed up with my daughter going on to Deliveroo and spending 15 quid and a bowl of rice and fish. Now, it's all sashimi grade fish, but it's tuna or salmon are the only two fish that they actually do that with. So I would really like to try other fish to see. They're all just um, cured, n- nothing cooked. The the diced salmon with sort of soy sauce and a wee bit of sriracha. And then they, they go with rice and pickled veg and uh, edamame beans, what else, avocado, sliced ginger. And then the other one that they seem that's very popular is the tuna dice which I've never bought before and you just raw dice tuna and mix it with honey soy sauce and freshly grated ginger and it's in that marinade for I don't know what two three minutes or something and then it's served on top of a kind of wee bowl of rice and a big mixed salad there, there are places all over Glasgow at the moment. There's maybe four or five new places that are selling these salad fish bowls. So now more than ever, should we be saying, what can we land here that has the same characteristics that wouldn't break down in that sort of cure that's got the 
acidic ginger and, and soya sauce. So I would I would like to test a couple of these um these species that you're talking about, Jim, to see if they would work. Because that's how we you would get it onto TV because we need to cook something that's on trend with something that's an unknown species and not bringing in uh, tuna from around the world. I, there is obviously, I would need to see, I would like to see the, the dish, but even thinking about it, there's a number of species that would come to mind that certainly wouldn't break down. Obviously, they wouldn't, I mean, tuna and uh, and salmon have their own characteristics and whitefish wouldn't be quite the same, but there is certainly plenty. One of the ones that comes to mind now, uh, you know, salmon, salmon, any of the, like the oily fish, salmon, mackerel, herring, that, their, their oil content is anything between just say, 18 up to maybe 24% oil content. And that's depending on depending on the season and and that. Uh, cod haddock. I'm sending you some pictures just now whilst we're on air, just so that I remember. Species. But yes, mackerel works because I've done okay. that one before um, and just yeah. cured in a wee bit of lime and cucumber yeah. and a wee bit of salt. And that would taste, in fact, I would love the taste of that even better. Um, I think mackerel is fantastic in that kind of, and, and herring, and herring. And herring, yeah, yeah. Problem with all the herring. But also, uh, as I was saying with the mackerel, salmon, oil content, you go back to, you go down to the cod and haddock, uh, the well-known species, like and whiting and that, they're maybe four, five percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, much lower as far as the oil content is concerned. One of the species, and I'm sure if you're following me on Instagram, you would have seen me use it. It's called redfish. Right. Now, redfish is a that's a, that's what it's called. That's its name in this country. It's called a redfish in right. Canada, North America, Iceland. That that countries it's called ocean perch right okay and have you put this on instagram and in in asia it's like a i think they, they call it a sea bream I now see, it's a deep okay. water species mm-hmm. it's a deep water species okay and, i see here uh, it's it it's coming in with a oil content something like in between 11 12 okay a te- a texture like no other that i've ever come across oh, it, really? it's an amazing texture and such a strong muscle on it um, if i was to tell you i'm going to try to we're we're, we're Sending photos to each other here. And, <laughs> we're supposed uh, to be recording a podcast if, if was, and we're sending pictures of fish. <laughs> if I was to tell you the muscle of it is so strong, you know, when I put it 
when I put it on uh, on the griddle, mm-hmm. the, I kid you not, I have my full strength. I've got my fish, you know, the spatula uh-huh. on the fillet, holding it down with all with all my weight on it. The spatula's bending, holding it down. It oh, is really? such a strong muscle. And that, and what that, sort of weights on always, on these fish? It would curl. Pardon. What what sort of weights? Well, it, is... it's it's they're they're depending on size. You know they're catching all different size, sizes. So the fishermen grade grade by all all this fish by size. Mm-hmm. I think that would go fantastic, really fantastic. It's got quite a unique texture, and and it's got a lot of flavour. I think blue ling, which is another deep water species, it's like you know white ling. Well, blue ling is deep water. Now I'm talking about uh, now boats fishing. Uh, where whereas you're you're eighty to hundred, hundred and twenty fathom. That's fathom six foot. A fathom six feet fishermen always talk in fathoms. Right, okay. The depth of water they catch, they're caught, caught and haddock. For uh-huh. blue ling, there could be anything between from three, four, five up to six hundred fathom. Oh wow! It's a so it's just the bigger boats that are, but it's but it's brilliant because it's it's a getting that bigger boats away out in the deep water. Mm-hmm. And less less pressure on the and and more opportunity for the smaller boats in the shallower water, so it's got so many benefits. Well, I for am the environment to... for the fish. Stock. Yeah. Well, it makes sense to be able to use and... them. I'm going to actually speak to the fishmonger after this and see if he can get me some to try because I definitely think. If that works, it would work for everybody. If he doesn't get them for you, you have a, just tell him if he doesn't get them for you, you, have a, you, you know a friend who can't. I've got someone in the know. <laughs> no, not in the know, just somebody who can get them for you. <laughs> but uh, I would you know, I don't know. You, you, uh, you, I don't think we need to worry about mentioning names you've talked about using bernard corrigan i mean he's a very well reputable fish monger fish merchant and my goodness i can remember driving the fish lorry to to glasgow Um, well i'm 72 now and i was 19 Mm. then so do the maths yep 50 odd years ago yeah so he was a front runner then. I don't know how many shops he has now, but he had a, quite a few throughout the. It's city. it's mainly just the commercial market now, um, and they do home delivery. So they're they're away from that sort of shop front, but they do they're they're big on home delivery and they're big on. There's an awful lot of sort of domestic people cooking, you know, and and putting it on social media a bit like how you are, and you know those photographs that. I've just sent you of this fish and vegetable plate. 
that's the kind of thing that people are wanting to cook at home and especially coming up to the summer um there's seaweed there you know and even that the boys that were cooking at the weekend were all using seaweed for seasoning for their stocks for you know paste that they were making to to serve with stuff it it was it was so inspirational watching these guys but again they were using the high-end cuts of you know the scallop and sort of but you know langoustine oyster all that high end but what we are trying to do is encourage people to take the lesser known species and be able to create a dish because those hand-dived scallops from Orkney or whatever they're, they're not reachable for everybody so they're not going to have that for their tea in a Wednesday night are they whereas if they can source that the red fish and we can do something with that or the grenadier or the tusk or the um, blue ling then surely uh, um, amongst government guidelines we'd all be able to eat a whole lot more fish if it was a lot more accessible Jacqueline Jacqueline uh, you mentioned inaccessibility of the Orkney hand-dived scallops why has it got to be hand-dived? Well, do you know in the industry, do you know a fact? Dried, dried scallops are more sustainable than hand dived. Seriously? Well, that's not Seriously. what we get told when you're, I don't know, in the, that, as a chef. That's right. It's got that. I know because Stigma it's very attached good to marketing. It. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah, yeah. And I have no qualms about it. I, you know, uh, I get there, some of the, obviously I like listening to all sides of a argument. And one of the things, and I'm sure you've heard it when you when were brought it up, the dredge dredger look what he's doing to the seabed mm-hmm. that's exactly what I was he's dredging told. the seabed and the, the terminology you've more probably heard he leaves the seabed like a plowed field that's exactly what i was told that very line jim so we were always led to believe right. that that was wrong right. well i'll give you a question or not a question, a statement from a dredger who's actually dredging a scallop dredger. Uh Two comments he he made. He's a close friend of mine, so uh, but that doesn't matter. It's not the friendship I'm talking about here. It's uh, it's the logistics of the what he's doing, as he says, he's been scallop dredging forty years. Uh-huh. Now, they go around, it's seasonal, like every other fish in the sea. So they, over the course of a year, they will be literally right round the British Isles. Fishing will be part of their season, will be 
on the east coast, down the east coast of England, northeast, and they go south. They'll be on a, they'll be fishing on the Channel, sometimes on the on the French side, other on the on the, and so they'll be fishing out the, the Channel ports. They'll be round the coast by up by Wales, and then from from a, say the southwest of Scotland, right up fishing outside the, along the north coast here. Now, as he says, how how is it not sustainable when he's still doing that 40, 40 years, years later? later. Mm-hmm. 40 yeah. years. How can that not be sustainable? Yeah. And the other point he makes to the remark about the ploughed field, what is a farmer, what does a field look like if a farmer doesn't plough it? That's a good one. He maintains underwater the same way that a farmer obviously maintains on land by looking after the beds. Well, it's the same. It's the same thing. It is absolutely the same. And what they find that the scallop dredger does is breaks up shells and things in the seabed and mix, churns it up, and it actually takes fish into it, mm-hmm. into that areas. Otherwise, it's just left, and and nothing, nothing Unkept, happens. Yeah. And the, you know there was a situation. There was a similar situation in a different thing, different species, just after the Cod War, and when Pharaoh, the Pharaohs put the same restrictions on the UK fishing boats as Iceland had. And so the fishermen... They, a lot of the Aberdeen trawlers and that had used to fish the Faro Bank. Faro Bank is a well-known uh, fishing ground, and it's in the Faro waters. So we were put out of the Faro Bank, mm-hmm. and just after that happened, the fishing on the Faro Bank took off, and there was just no fish. And for a while, the fisher, the government in Faroe thought, just as well we stopped that in time. Look at the decimation. There's just no fish left there. What they discovered latterly, eventually, was the Aberdeen trawlers were fishing much heavier gear, what we call rock hoppers, mm-hmm. which are big rubber wheel wheels, you could say, which are and with chains. And it's yeah. thundering along the bottom, and and breaking up rocks and and churning uh, up the seabed, and that was taking fish in to 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 feed to feed. All right. And uh, so so it was nothing to do with it. Was actually it affected. It affect, it actually the detrimental effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stopping the trawlers had, had had a negative effect on it. 
And a fishery scientist in Iceland, Jon Christensen, who I'm friendly with, and I've had on a podcast, I'm really looking forward to that one coming out, as he says, trawling is not as efficient as some scientists and and uh, conservationists make it out to be. And he says the only, the maximum a trawl net ever takes trawling over a fishing ground is 20%. Really? Never takes more. Mm. Again, more. that's got to be surely an education thing, Jim, that, you know, obviously I'm friendly with you and have been for a long, long time. And these are all the things that I thought because that's what I was told. Yeah, you know, in my time, even in the, personally speaking, Jacqueline, in a restaurant, I've dealt with divers and I've dealt with dredgers. Mm-hmm. And I found, I I have never had an undersized scallop. Now, there's a, min, there's a minimum size, a le, minimum legal size that they're allowed to land. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had... I've had them, been offered them from divers because when they're diving, it's up to how, you know, there's there's good, there's every walk of life in any profession or what, there's good people and bad there's people. And bad. There's yep. people that'll chance it and the people won't. So, so the, with a diver, the, undersized scallop is up to how greedy he is and how thoughtful he is of the future, whether he will take it or not. A dredger hasn't got that option, a choice, because the way his dredges are made up, the scallops escape. Okay, they go through the spaces. They don't come on board. Right. They don't come on board. So they don't. The dredger does not have that option, and you know, even MSC, there's 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 areas in the world where dredge scallops have have a chain of custody, as and classed as as sustainable, and nowhere is there a dred a dive scallop got that, nowhere in the world. That's very interesting. Jacqueline, I have no qualms. I have no qualms any time on my menu, and every every menu I have, which you sure you've, you've seen, mm-hmm. the footer on the menu says where every fish came from, the boat that landed it, and where he was fishing. Yeah, I have never a problem telling people the boat I get the, the dredge scallops from. And I'm perfectly happy if somebody is upset and wants to talk about it, I am more than delighted to sit down and and, and, and talk about it. I have absolutely 100% clear conscience as far as this issue on dived mm-hmm. and dredged scallops. Very interesting, so, so, that and, one, Jim. And, it, and it's a shame because, you know, when you're talking about the the dish, the salad dish, that, that was one of the things I was going to suggest. 
as uh, would would be fantastic in it, scallops. But why have them out of reach on when when it's when it's there's no need for it? Mm-hmm. Again, with that though, if I was to use something that scallops in that dish, it's making it a wee bit more expensive, and it, they're kind of ten to fifteen pounds per bowl for that salad dish. But <clears throat> there's a market for them, and they are very on trend. And I think Creamy you've got scallop. to capit- capitalize on the trend that's here just now, and that this generation of younger people that are wanting this food are wanting to eat good quality fish. So at a reasonable price to be able to keep it at that, you know, you actually only get a small amount on the on the bowl. It is mainly sort of pickled veg. And, you know, when you think back to uh, sort of old pickled herring type things, it, and you would have never thought that would be trendy, but you're after the same flavours that's going on here. But for us to be able to use a fish that is um, a, a lesser known species that could hold up in a cure and still be as tasty you know if i was to try some red fish or something in it would would people really know the difference between something that's flown halfway around the world um to be tuna and it's trendy than what it would from a deep water uh, red fish it's, it's certainly worth a think about I, and it's certainly I, I worth think... using a species I... like that to go to one of these uh, major networks uh, for to use as a, a fish dish. Queenie scallops. We don't often get them down here. Queenies. You don't often get redfish. No, well, we don't often get redfish. Oh, well, right, okay, yeah. And do you think queenies are... are, are no. More um, sustainable, more. Right. They're as, as sustainable. There's lots. Of, there's lots. There's a big fishery of Queenie scallops around the Scottish coast. Right. My I'm list sure, is getting bigger. I'm sure Jim. John King, King Seafood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing King all this down so down that I don't Solway forget. Coast. Right. I'm sure he would help you out there, but uh, you know there is a good, big fishery of uh, there was uh, there's a, at certain times of the year there's a big fishing of Queenie scallops in the Shetlands, right? So, uh, and a good friend of mine uh, fishes them in Orkney and uh, Scapa Flow, mm-hmm. and they're absolutely outstanding. Are they? There's a Hume's a smokery in Orkney. He's a guy he used to be on board the Al Scare fishing boat. He is now gone ashore and he's got his own business doing some doing smoking. He smokes mussels, mm-hmm. which I also think would be a fantastic product in in that salad. Mm-hmm. But also he smokes que- Queenie scallops, and they're just absolutely incredible. Oh, are they? Right. I think we have to have an honesty about things like this as well, I often feel. Uh, and there's an example of what we're what I'm getting at and what you're asking. We 
had a there was a factory in Thurso set up, and there was a, there was a joint venture between people from the UK and and Japanese people, and uh, the Japanese used to come to the captain's galley a lot. They right. great customers, mm-hmm. and uh, they asked me to do a start to do a sashimi course mm-hmm. as an intermediate between because they loved oysters, lobster, langoustines, loved all that sort of stuff, and uh, so the we had the langoustines and oysters as to start the meal and. and and then before they went on to the lobster, they, they asked me would I do sashimi. And I I just loved the thought idea of it and something I always wanted to do. So uh, I said to them, I says, look, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I says, you're a good customer. We're a small business and you're really good customers of ours. And... I said, if I, I says, you're, you're used to getting the best sashimi in the top restaurants in Tokyo, London, you name it. I said, if I mess it up and I'm, and I'm going to upset you, and I've lost good business. And, and the wee Japanese guy walked up to me, put his hand on my shoulder and says, Jim, he says, you've got it wrong. He says, the best sashimi is not how close you are to the centre of London or Tokyo. He said, it's right here in Scrabster where you get the freshest fish. <laughs> so I said, wow, that's wonderful. I love you. Uh, <laughs> I, I said, it's something I've always wanted to do, but I just did not want to upset you. So uh, we started doing it, and he, and he came up to me after a few times and said, look, this is getting really good, and we're really pleased with it. But he says, there's something we would just like to ask you to add to it. And I says, okay, what you got in mind? He says, well, he says, one of the core elements central to sashimi is tuna. Mm-hmm. And he says, I would really like you to introduce tuna into the sashimi. And I said, look, I'm sorry. I says, I've got a real problem with that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He says, a real problem. He says, why? He says, there's tuna landed all over the world. I said, exactly. It's all over the world. I it's says, none of it has landed in Scrabster. Yeah. This is there's no tuna landed in Scrabster. So I'm really sorry. I can't do do that. And do you know what his reply to me was? He said, Jim, that is one of the best answers I've had in any restaurant I've been in. Well, I think that's testament to obviously what you could do for them and the fact that he appreciated that you're... um, you were not prepared to do something that wasn't landed outside your front door. But I think that's one of the messages that we would have to get across because it is an integral part of this style of eating. But if this style of eating is what is getting all the youngsters and this younger generation 
looking for this type of dish, what can we put in it that will produce the same sort of taste or or just structure that it would hold together I don't think ultimately when you um when you have that sort of sashimi that's mixed with the soy or the fresh ginger or wasabi whatever you're not actually tasting the tuna as far as I'm concerned you can taste the salmon you can always taste things like that but if I was to do that dish with mackerel or or redfish or herring would you know any different I I wouldn't look at it from the point of view would I know I I I would I would as I, I think the the honesty I talk about is just we tell people well okay tuna's not scottish so we're not using that mm-hmm. yeah oh no absolutely not as in we would we would lie to them you're just trying to get something across there that tastes just as good if not better but with a wee bit of knowledge to explain the tuna's not landed here, you know, like what you had to do to your Japanese guests. We don't land it here, so we won't be serving it. Yeah, but to me, I didn't do anything. I was just open and straight and See just told them the reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, totally, yeah, yeah. And I think if you... And do you not feel, Jacqueline, if you're doing something and you believe in it strongly, well, that message is going to come out on It'll the, come on the across. dish as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I believe that. I think there's there's lots of things in Scottish waters which would just be fantastic with that. Squid, I think squid would be lovely in that. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be able to get something that is accessible and acceptable to people. I think in order to encourage um, the consumer to buy this whatever fish, they need not to be scared of it or they, you know, they need to be comfortable with it. Therefore, so does the fishmonger, so does the recipe, so does the chef that have inspired them to cook it. At bottom line, Jim, not everybody's going to go out of their way to go and get a squid and clean it and and prepare it the way that a chef would or a razor clam or, you know, whatever that they've tasted somewhere that has been... Would they be buying the... Yeah, but the... the, Sure, oh, I see what you mean. So people are making this themselves. I would like them to make it themselves. No, no, they're buying these from Japanese fast food places, which there has been four or five cropped up in uh, Glasgow and surrounding areas in the past past couple of years, to be honest. I only discovered one of them um, during lockdown when it was John Quigley was doing a pop-up, our chef in Glasgow, that's got red onion. And he looked at who's out there and who can come and keep us afloat by if we do a takeaway version of some sort of food. And it was his daughters that had said, this is what all the students are, are eating and looking for just now. And they were selling them 
hundreds of them at a time. And since that time back in 2020, that's when there's been um, four or five of these places opened selling this as a dish, whether it's takeaway or eat in. So I definitely think there's a market for it. I definitely think there's a the time is the time is right to strike at the moment with lesser known Scottish species yeah, or British I, species I, that we can move on. I think the deep waterling, the deep waterling, and the redfish. Uh, and what's their fat content, the Jim? Monkfish or husk? Well, the 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 redfish. Would be in almost in between. It'd be 11, 12 percent. 11, 12, right? I thought that's what oil you'd content. Said. Okay. Yeah, less than the less than the oily fish, but a lot mm -hmm. more than the a lot more than the bog, white bog standard. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the texture of it and that I think it would just be fantastic, and it's in that. And again, it obviously, yeah. ceviche um, uh, is quite trendy, but in high-end restaurants, you know, halibut ceviche or scallop or whatever. But if we can make it on a fish that's a lot more sustainable and affordable, um, then I think that younger market is going to be able to buy it because the, these kids aren't buying the, the sashimi bowls or... Uh, poke bowls or all the things from the the sushi shops around the the country. It's not halibut and it's not scallops. You know, it's slightly more affordable. And if we can, yeah, sort of encourage that by by using even more so sustainable products, which can deliver on of, texture and flavour, then it's got to be a winner. Absolutely, there's lots of uh, fish. I I I I make ceviche myself, and uh, I love it. And there's certainly plenty fish landed in Scotland that are would sit well in a ceviche. Mm. No, this is very interesting, and I think and sushi. Yeah, it's it's super trendy and healthy and you don't always want something to be on trend because then it will be off trend. But if if you can um deliver on the, the health aspects of it all, the clean eating style of it, the 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 not high fat uh and and loads of additions to make it taste nice, it's all pretty much raw on that plate and it tastes amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I, I I can see it. I can. Well, I can visualize it, and I think I would love love to try it myself. I think it's a fantastic idea, but definitely there's. A, I, I'm. I would be interested to take it further with you and work at it. And yeah. Oh, absolutely, Jim. I would like to. Them. So I pick your brains about that one and and see what we could use. I'll try a couple of fish and see how they work. Um, and I think yeah. even you know the the fitness industry, everybody is looking for. Everyone seems to have busier lifestyles right now, and they're more than happy to pat pay for food, as long as it's got good protein content, low fat content, good sort of clean eating healthy um 
a great plate with, you know, good carbohydrates. And this is what they're all looking for in that sort of industry. And especially with, you know, the amount of allergens that people have nowadays, the cleaner we can get with the food, the less chance that they're going to have hidden ingredients that is hidden in most other takeaway foods. If this is what people are looking for, then it's definitely the time to be getting out there with it. I think it's exciting and and uh, fantastic and just exactly what I uh, want the podcast to be about. How do we get people eating more of the lesser known species? I think exactly that's what one answer is in in your in your salad bowl. Fantastic. Quite and super exciting. healthy. And super, super healthy. healthy. Yes, absolutely. And a, I mean I, I class that you know I I some people don't like the term, but I was speaking to one of our customers and about and he was raving so much about the redfish. And I was explaining the breakdown with the oil content and stuff like that. And I said, it's in superfood category. <laughs> and that's what they're all after. And, Something and, that comes under the superfood category. And you look at, I mean, you look at all the minerals, essential minerals that we're, our body needs. Uh, we, we don't get them now under modern farming because they're reared so quickly, there's no minerals left in yeah, them. Yeah, and there's not any time. You, think of, you look at an oyster, the zinc content in an oyster and the iron content and other essential minerals and mussels and and crab. And it's but even just, down to the, just... the, the seaweed, Jim, they were talking about a couple of seaweed farms that um, were up in the... Oh, one of them certainly was Narda Merkin Coast and they were giving it to um, Colin Nicholson. He's in Mingari Castle and he's developed all these sort of seaweed recipes to utilise the seaweed that the guys are giving him. And, and one of them was, now I buy a lot of nori, um, you know, that sort of seaweed wrap for the, the sushi. And he's using overcooked rice and a sugar kelp that he boils together and then he blitzes it to a, a paste and spreads it on a silpat mat and he dries it out overnight and then reconstitutes it into a seafood, a seaweed cracker. I've never tasted anything like it. There was no seasoning, there was nothing. And we had it with the ceviche of um, scallop, I think is what he had. and what a dish you know and this was seaweed from Ardnamurkin overcooked rice and I'm I'm making it sound as if it's as easy as anything it obviously took him a while to develop and the, we had Graham Cheevers um, the new boy in Glasgow and everything he seasoned on his plate was sea herbs or herbs that he had grown with no salt, no no peppers, no nothing. It was all seaweed broth. It was all um, good, fresh Scottish fish and with the sort of twist on seaweed 
coming alongside it to give you that taste of the sea. Now, if that's what the guys at the front end of cooking, as far as I'm concerned, are cooking in their restaurants, that's what the public are starting to... It's starting to have a ripple effect that this is what people are after. Really good, clean-tasting, whole foods that taste of the sea. Not the taste of creamy and butter sauces. They're wanting something that's super healthy and light and good for you to eat and full of all the minerals and vitamins that are often lost. I think we are approaching a, a generation of healthier people and and people looking for something healthier so I I think this is quite exciting Jim I've probably touched on something that you and I could talk about fish all day long but when you start to say well let's try this and let's let's see where we can go with this. I did a podcast yesterday with a girl uh, uh, the organization called SAMS S-A-M-S and she's based in uh, Dunstaffinage the laboratories down in uh, near Oban mm-hmm. and it's all seaweed they're working with and some of the things she spoke about were really quite exciting and one of the things that really fascinated me was uh, and we spoke about it was they're developing some uh, it's a, a farm and mull that is feeding it to pigs now, right. one of the th- one of the big bones of contention in this fishing industry is there is big boats coming over from Denmark, f- f- industrial fishing for sand deals mm-hmm. in the in the east coast, uh, mostly down in the east coast of. Uh, England, northeast of England and up into Scotland, the industrial fishing for sand deals for mm-hmm. the pig farms. Right. And sand deals is the food. Sand deals is the food of our fish. So right. how how much how much better is it for our fish stocks and environment to utilize seaweed? Yeah. And. You know what's that going to do for our fish stocks? Ah, uh, if they start landing all the sand deals. Yeah, and well, they're doing that. So I have been doing it for they're years, do- but oh, it would they? make more uh, for, for. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's a real bone of contention because our fishermen, will get quotas cut. But how much better it would be if they actually increased the available food. For our fish. Yeah. And uh, so I th- there, there's, it's, I'm, I'm maybe changing it slightly, but this is for feeding pigs. It doesn't matter. It's, there's, I think we're maybe, it's never too late. There's fish, seaweed has been on the beach for a long, long time. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if we're finding the goodness and I'm starting to use it. Let's have it. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh it's yeah, I, the, and the, the I, flavor was incredible. I, I think I think the chefs on that one have played an important role because 
Whereas, I mean, I can remember as a kid, we used to, I used to use, uh, uh, we used to use seaweed in different ways and, and things. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the industry, the hospitality industry has given it names. We talk about sea lettuce. Mm-hmm. And we never spoke, we never, but it's brilliant. Oh, uh, yeah, there was all different varieties, yeah. But it was just seaweed when I. Yeah. When I used to see it in the beach, but yeah. uh, he he had a box full and was showing everybody. So he had some that was dehydrated that was just used to flake over some things, some that was uh, made into uh, a broth, um, some that was obviously made into the crackers, um, reduced down to get jellies, sort of seaweed jelly. And obviously, being where he was, just at Ardnamurkin, it's a sort of most furtherly westerly point in Scotland, and the sea's right in his doorstep and he must have an abundance of this but the way that he had brought it onto his menus and into his style of cooking was incredible yeah well i think that's great to hear i i just love hearing people doing more things mm-hmm. with with the i was asking this girl yesterday if I, with dulse I, I, I mean we're talking about seaweed here Jacqueline, as a kid, my father, we used to eat a lot of dulse. We used to uh, pick a lot of dulse. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> my father used to roast it in the fire in the sitting room. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> <if> you can, <laughs> ima- <laughs> can imagine the smell so in the fire. Every time I get this. Well, yeah, but you know, every time I get a smell, the smell of seaweed now and dulse and, and things like that, it just takes me back. I've got such fond memories of it. I love, you know, you know when I know people will say, oh, what a horrible smell, rotting seaweed. I just love it. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> Lovely smell. And, and tasty. so important. You know, it's one of the best, fer- it's one of the best fertilizers you'll get as well. Mm-hmm. I think so, he'd said. No, I think that's fantastic. I think that's. Carry on. It, well, he had said that they, they, they specified in sort of looking after two varieties, but on the ropes, they put out a couple of boys and the seaweed just naturally sort of grows on it. And also the sugar kelp, I think it was, they hadn't intended on any of that growing there, but quite a lot of sugar kelp had, had come out of one of the ropes. So. Um, he had quite a few different varieties to show people what what they looked like and the the different ones that he that he done stuff with. And I just think all of this is a great education. And if, if this is what our young chefs are doing at the moment, and this is what the consumer is buying in restaurants, then this will be what they're looking for when they want to do it at home. So I think it might be an an interesting time to try well, something like this just now. Well, I have a good friend in Orkney, Sam Britton. I don't know if you've seen him on Saturday's Kitchen. He's been on a few times with James Martin. Oh, has he's he? Made, right, okay. Started to make what? What? It's called Orkney Craft Vinegar, mm-hmm. and he's made the most outstanding vinegars. What a taste! Oh, and really? One of the products is sugar. One of the one of his vinegars is sugar kelp. And another is smoked dulse. He's taken the dulse and smoked it. Uh-huh. And 
they're outstanding. Wow. They're just probiotics in themselves. Mm-hmm. You can just you can just drink it like you would take a sh- shot of whiskey. You could. Uh huh. Tastes so good. And so good for you. Mm, yeah. Jacqueline, this has been exciting and uh, certainly something I'm looking forward to taking further. Definitely feel there's mileage in this salad box. <laughs> and some, or that certainly a Scottish fisherman could benefit from. Mm. And, and I think if anything that we can do to enhance that for the Scottish fishermen and indeed everyone's uh, better health, future health, not so much, um, you know, on a on your purse sort of thing, but for your future health and and the the, the benefits of the fishing industry in Scotland, I definitely think it's it's a wee market that's waiting to be tapped into. And and uh, I often hear people making the comment, "Oh, but all the fish is trucked to the continent. We it's not we can't get access to it." My answer to that is, all of seventy two for seventy two years, I've never met the fisherman ever who I heard saying. No, you can't buy my fish. <laughs> exactly. Just ask them, and they'll just take less to Europe. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Exactly. <laughs> it's certainly available. There's it no sure question is. About it. it's available. You just need to ask. And it's in abundance, and uh, and there's a, a m- enormous variety. All different tastes, textures, you name it, for a ceviche, sashimi, or just cook it up and serve it up. Yeah. Uh, there's enough to, for there's all, enough for for us all, to try for it all, tastes, yeah. For all dishes. A, co- a comment I often make when I'm doing demos is, is there's a, don't stick with it one species. There's a fish for every dish and a dish, and a dish for every for season. Fish. <laughs> I've heard you say that quite yeah. a few times, Chef. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I'm repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm meaning in demos. I've heard you say that. Yeah. Okay. And it's very okay. true. Thank you. No, you've been you've been very kind. You've been too kind to me. <laughs> I'm getting carried away here. Oh, jeez. That's a sure sign. When I come up to that one, I'm getting carried away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. No, it's, but it's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. And at the end of the day, it's super healthy food for people. Yeah. And that's all we're after. And that's all everyone's after. Something really good to eat that tastes great and is, is good for their health too. I don't think that's... That's too much to, to ask for. And That's we've right. got plenty of it, as you say. Jacqueline, I was just like the sort of closed down, man. Just thank you so much for your input. And I've really, really enjoyed this conversation, as I always do. And <laughs> uh, 
you've you've given us something to look to, and I yeah. almost like a challenge, and and mm-hmm. I as far as any challenge I ever get, I just bring it on. Absolutely, and, and we can we Thank can you. take this a wee bit further, which I would really like to do, Jim, um, and start seeing what what well what can we do about this. So let's let's look into that. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy, Jib, Jib, your, Jib Corrigans and get them, you know. I know, this. going to text the young boy just now. <laughs> Tell him, get me some of this. Here's my here's my order. A kilo of <laughs> here's drooling, here's two my list of fish I need you to get. <laughs> oh, and, and two kilos of tusk. Aye, exactly. <laughs> what? It's landed and it's available. That's one thing I can guarantee you, Jack. Yes. But I'll certainly be more than happy to help access it as well. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, they're all on my menu. This week, we'll we'll have a what we a halibut, Greenland halibut, not the the white species, a redfish, blueling, tusk. That's all. That's that's, that's all fish that's on our menu this week. Yeah, and it's it's what's been landed and it's mm-hmm. in season. So it ticks every box. Yeah, and I'm excited about. And and uh, we have. I'll tell you what. There's nobody saying I'm not having that. Sorry, I've, there's none of it goes in the bin. Mm-hmm. It's just they're all quite happy to have it. I just feel that. And I just feel a wee bit sad at times when because I know it's going to happen each table I go to. It's just gonna, I never heard of this before. It's mm, exactly what they'll see. And, you know, yeah. Rather than think, oh great, we've thumbs up for the captain's galley. We've I don't take look at it that way. I feel actually quite disappointed as an industry at large that people are. Saying that, why, yeah. why, where, where? Why are the when there's so much of it being landed? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's hoping we can crusade, Jim, okay. to make yeah. a difference. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll have it, and we'll have you on Great British Menu again. <laughs> <laughs> With all my uh, lesser-known species, we'll have a program on it in itself. Thank you for listening to Seafood Matters Podcast. You can subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can join me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for at Seafood Matters Podcast. If you have any questions or episode suggestions, please email me at jim at seafoodmatterspodcast.com or get in touch through my website, seafoodmatterspodcast.com. Thank you.